0: Just a friendly reminder before we get started this week that as a United Methodist pastor, I am currently appointed to Henry's Chapel UMC. So if you wish to support this podcast, to support my ministry and and the ministries of the people of of Henry's Chapel UMC, you may send any checks that you may desire to 563 East Main Street, Philadelphia, Mississippi, 39350. And now with that behind us, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. And as you're turning there, um, I just want to take a moment and talk a minute about the idea of mission statements. Um, Mission statements have become a very kind of popular thing to discuss. Companies have mission statements. People have their own personal mission statements. Or even your church may have a mission statement. And the mission statement of the church is what sets the community of Jesus apart and grounds our actions, our our preaching, our teaching, our programs, our proclamation. What our mission is, is what should drive everything else that we do. However, for many of our churches, we have designed missions and mission statements that read more like a business plan, where the end result is not How is it that we are going to act and preach and teach and program and and proclaim because of what it is that God calls us to do? But we, we view how we're going to act, preach, teach, program, and proclaim through the idea of what will bring us the most numbers. And the life of faith is not an invitation into a community or a program, but it is an invitation into a way of life and being in the world. Which raises the question how much of our focus is on love, hope, blessing, serving, and forbearance? And how much is on buildings and budgets, on bodies, church members, and numbers? And as you wrestle with that question, let's hear these words from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, where it says this Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another in mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord and rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning's text, Is really kind of a mission statement unto itself. It's the laying out, if you will, of what genuine love looks like. In verses 9 through 13, we hear the framework for what genuine love is. It it rejects evil, it embraces good, it it competes in honoring one another. Or as John Wesley would say, um, in honor, preferring one another, which you will do if you habitually consider what is good in others and what is evil in yourselves. So John Wesley's guidance when it comes to this idea is that if you're seeking the good in others and realizing that you're not perfect and realizing the evil that's within you, the sin that dwells within you, then you will compete in honoring one another because you will hold one another up as you see the goodness within each other. But what we often, what we hear in our text is that love, that does not reject evil is not genuine. And and although the Roman Christians would would later face very fierce persecution at the hands of the emperors, Paul's letter to the Romans was written before this. And as a result, the evil he is addressing is not this outside forces seeking to defeat Christians, but rather that more subtle way and probably more dangerous way of pressure from their own neighbors, family, and friends. It's not coming from from the rulers, but it's coming from those people that they surround themselves with. And the suffering that Paul addresses is the suffering caused by the experience of Roman Christians finding themselves on the outside of their social circles due to their new religious beliefs. These religious beliefs that are against the worship of idols. And the family members and co-workers and neighbors who had had not converted to Christianity, they wouldn't understand this. They would not approve of this new behavior of their Christian counterparts. They would not understand why they refused to attend public events, many of which were deeply integrated in this sort of idol worship. They would not get it. And so they would judge and they would push back and, I, and and the, and there's two things that I really want us to hear in that. The first is how often do we live lives that are different than that of the world that calls us to live so differently that people question what we're doing. But also this idea of idol worship that so often now in our current culture, the idol that we worship most is self and that. So what we're doing is we're promoting ourselves and putting ourselves on this pedestal saying, I'm right, you're wrong. And if you don't agree with me, then it can't be Christian because I know what is Christian. At least that's how the church presents. Is That idea of posturing that we talked about a few weeks ago. But genuine love must reject the systematic evils in our culture and our society. While today's issue may be idol worship to the extent of worshiping oneself, Christians who seek to follow Christ, over, uh, is what is what we're called to do. But so often, we seek to follow worldly agendas. And but if we were to seek to truly follow the example and teachings of Jesus Christ, we may find ourselves on the other side of our families, our coworkers our friends when it comes to current social and political issues. So how does Paul's proclamation to love one another with mutual affection and to live in harmony with one another, how does that apply to us in our current culture? In a a world in which you don't have to look very far to, to see that there is division and not harmony in a world that you don't have to look very far to realize that there is not affection and mutual affection amongst people but what we are doing is we are seeking the evil within one another instead of seeing the good we are looking for reasons to tear one another down you don't have to look very far as almost every week on social media or, or listen on tv especially during the time that we find ourselves during this political season I want to be very, very clear that that I'm not promoting any political agenda, taking a political stance. But I also want to be very, very clear that I feel that Jesus's proclamate or Paul's proclamation leaves no room for debate on this issue. And it's an issue that has penetrated our world in such a manner that it's everywhere. It seems like it's common culture. It's the acceptable thing to do. And it's this idea of hate speech. And what Paul is saying is that hate speech is wrong. Not only wrong, but it's evil. It's an expression of the ultimate disconnection of human beings from one another or from other groups of human beings. Hate speech is the result of of the offending individual's failure to recognize the image of God in one another. And what I'm talking about when I say hate speech is this idea of tearing one another down. Because when we do that, we, we, we fail to see the image of God in one another, and as a result, we have a separation from God in ourselves. And as much as evil is the absence or deviation from God, Hate speech is quite literally evil and ought to be condemned as such. You see, our text this morning calls us not to hate or to reject the individual, but to reject hateful ideology, language and actions. And this this is reframing, hopefully, some of the conversations that you may have had recently and that you need to look back on how you've interacted because what happens is when somebody says something that, this, that we disagree with we don't disagree with the idea instead we they are the embodiment of that idea and we and it turns into a hate of that person and what we're called to do here is that we can have fruitful and honest conversations saying i disagree with that thought i disagree with that ideology i don't like that ideology because x y or z but that it does not have to become hateful towards the person that you're addressing because those that deny the humanity are preventing others from living fully and freely as god has intended philip zimbardo in the lucifer effect says that good people can be induced seduced and initiated into behaving in evil ways, especially when they submit to an authority that sanctions violence in particular situations. Now, like I said earlier, I'm not taking a political sense. This is not a political statement, because this authority can be society. This authority can be group think. Whatever guides and dictates how you live, think and interact with people is what is the authority in which I am Discussing, and so often whatever is authority, whatever has authority in our lives, if you look around our world right now, what it calls us to is this evil way of hate and violence towards one another. but Christ as well as Paul call us to bless those who persecute us, call us to love one another, live in mutual affection, they desire for us to achieve nonviolent reconciliation and some of you are even right now as we're talking about this are going yeah those people need to hear that and you're doing exactly what we're hearing not to do and you're saying but what we need to hear is that yes we need to have nonviolent reconciliation those people, the thing when we act in violence we're not acting as god calls us to And so we need to rebuke the ideology, but love the people. For the past, I don't even know how long. um, I've been sharing on my Facebook page and Twitter something that's referred to that I refer to as shared wisdom. And all it is is finding quotes that can apply to everyday living um, and sharing them as hopes to get conversations started, fruitful conversations. Um, about how to live and how we can grow. And even those, sometimes I will post and somebody will have a negative and judgmental response about those. And they're basically just quotes, but people respond with such vitriol at times. But as we look at shared wisdoms and we hear things like we hear in verse 21 of Romans chapter 12, where it says do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good it you can also maybe if 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 you have never heard this verse before maybe you've heard martin luther king jr's quote of darkness cannot drive out darkness only hate can do that and hate cannot drive out hate only love can do that i mean and, or maybe, I'm a, I think I misquoted that. Let me repeat it. Martin Luther King Jr. said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only hate. Or only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Or maybe you've heard Desmond Tutu's quote that said, good is stronger than evil, love is stronger than hate, light is stronger than darkness, life is stronger than death. Or maybe you've heard this quote from the American novelist James Baldwin. I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hates so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with pain. These are some shared wisdoms of persons that have heard this truth of not do not become over do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, and have questioned how they can live that out in their own lives. The law of the land in Paul's day, and indeed in Jewish tradition, allowed a certain amount of retribution in these sorts of situations. Evil was not and is not to be left unanswered. And and, and Paul agrees that evil must be answered that silence is not the answer however rather than repay evil for evil as actions paul calls us and encourages us to take fault for what is noble in the sight of all which is what we hear in verse 17 in the midst of a hate-filled and divisive world in which we continue to find ourselves is there anything that can be considered noble or good in the sight of all people? How might Christians called not to be silent but rather to respond to hatred with goodness promote this kind of love and harmony? In contrast to retributive responses to hate speech and marches in their towns, uh, and, and as we wrestle with that question of how can we act out of love and harmony in the world in which we live i i, I want to take you to something that happened in 2014 there was a viral post on twitter about cleve from cleve jones and who, who shares the story of one sittel one sidle in northeast bavaria which has been a neo nazi destination since it was once home the grave of Adolf Hitler's deputy Rudolf Hess. But in 2014, sponsors agreed uh, to donate money for each step marked by neo Nazis through their town, with the cash going to programs that fight Nazis. It was billed as Germany's most involuntary walkathon. Instead of greeting the group with protest, they put up banners welcoming the Nazis. They said welcoming them to Nazis against Nazis is how they coined what they were doing. It was a -a walkathon according to a video on YouTube channel run by the organization that promoted it. Mocking signs throughout the route encouraged the Nazis to keep walking to raise more money and organizers to put, would put out a table of bananas to help them keep up their energy so that they could continue walking and continuing and continue raising money. They even painted numbers on the ground so that the neo-Nazi marchers would be forced to see how much money they'd collected every milestone. And at the end, they passed out certificates reminding them of how much money they had raised to fight the neo-Nazi party. 10,000 euros or close to $12,000 going into the exit Deutschland, a group that helps helps neo-Nazis to defect from the movement. The organizers were fighting against Nazism in a way that showed no harm They allowed the Nazis honestly to fight against themselves. The organizers set up water tables along the route to thank the marchers, which was a lovely spin on what we hear at the end of Paul's command, that if your enemies are thirsty, give them something to drink, for by doing this, you will keep burning coals on their heads. This is the way in which we are called to act. Not out of hate of person, but out of hate of ideals, out of hate of beliefs, maybe. Maybe not out of hate, but but when we have a disagreement for it to not turn to hate speech, but to, to view the good in the people and to have open and honest conversations, to think outside of the box when it comes to sharing love and mercy and grace. So my challenge for us this week is to let our love be genuine as we seek to live in harmony and to follow the call of Christ. Amen. Amen.